Hello, hello, hello. Good Sunday afternoon to you. How are you today? I hope you're doing well. This is Ellie Krug with Hidden Edges Radio. You've got me for the next hour. How do you like that?、Um, as you may recall, if you're a regular listener, you know that this show is about our collective attempt to survive the human condition. And the knave is derived from the fact that there are hidden edges in life that we are always encountering, some that are sharp, others that are blunt, but boy, they all trip us up one way or another. And I like to pinpoint on this show stories about human grit and resiliency, and certainly about human inclusivity. And finally, for those who don't know, and I know regular listeners, you know what's coming. For those who don't know, my name is Ellie Krug. I do sound like a man on the radio, and that happens to be because I am transgender, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. Big deal. So there you go. That's what you get. I have a great guest today. I have Don Samuels in the、um, studio with me. Don, welcome、Thank、to、you. Hidden、Thank、Edges you, Radio. Great we, to be here with you. Well, we just love having you. Thank you. And so,、uh, Don, just for a little bit so the audience understands, you're a, you are a, 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 a former toy maker, and we're、mm-hmm. going to talk about that toy designer. You are Most people would recognize the name because you were a city council member for three years、right. in Minneapolis, right? And now you're the executive director of Micro Grants, a wonderful nonprofit that we're going to talk about. Don, I'm just thrilled to be able to have you here in the studio because I'm looking one idealist looking at another、yeah. idealist, and here we are just looking at each other. And if only the world could be the way we think, right? Right. <laughs> Maybe we can nudge it forward a little bit. May,、today. Well, we'll see what we can do in the, in the next hour. So, Don, let's talk a little bit about your background because you,、yeah. were not, you weren't born in Minnesota.、No. And, in, and in fact, you weren't born in the U.S. So, tell、um, us a little bit about your story, if you w a n t Yeah,、like. I was born in Jamaica、uh, and came to the United States at age 20. Okay. And、um, while in Jamaica, I went to high school, of course. And.、Um, I also, my father was a minister, and,、um, and I had a,、uh, believe it or not, the number one hit on the Jamaican hit parade in 1969. You did? Yeah. Are you kidding so, me? And it was a gospel song. Really?、So、that was kind of a first in many different ways. Well, that I, I、yeah. had no idea about. <laughs> so,、uh, do you still sing? Not really. No, I,、uh, there's a little group called,、um, uh, called the Episcopals. Episcop- okay. And, and I used to sing with them a little bit, but、um, uh, f- for one event a year, that's it. Okay. <laughs> but,、uh, all right.、Yeah. So you very much are a, a human of all seasons. So, yeah. <laughs> so if I understand right, you came to the U.S.,、yes. and where did you get your、uh, college degree at? At Pratt Institute in New York. Oh, my God. What a great school. Yeah, great school, design school in architecture. And I、uh, graduated with a degree in industrial design. Okay. Designing products. Okay. And、uh, immediately went into the toy industry as a designer. In, in the New York metro the New area? York metro area. Yeah, which, yeah. of course, at that time in the, what, that would have been in the mid 70s? In the mid 70s, yeah. Yeah, that was a, the hotbed of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,、um, and evolving toy industry. Okay, and so,、um, and then、uh, just kind of bring us quickly forward to what、yeah. else you did.、Uh, yeah, so I, I worked in the toy industry for 30 years, half of which I worked in 
R&D departments of uh, major manufacturers, Play School, Milton Bradley, Hasbro, and um, I ran the R&D department for the preschool line at Play School was in my last gig. And uh, then I, uh, then I uh, went into business for myself with a couple of partners, and we had a design studio called Red Racer Studio that still exists. And uh, Where was that located? In St. Paul. All right, mm-hmm. so what got you to the Twin Cities? That, that the, the couple of pals were designing here, and they had a product uh, called uh, Nerf Sword. They, it's a fencing, Nerf fencing, and uh, it was a Nerf sword. Okay. <laughs> that had a game feature to it. And, and they sold it. It did really well, and they said, hey, come on back, because I had been here working with them in, in one uh, configuration before that, and they... They said, let's get together and do this. So I came back, uh, and uh, I had worked for a, a game company here called Lakeside Games before. Okay. And uh, they left town, and I went with left town, and then came back with these guys, and we had a business. I stayed in uh, my own design business for th- 15, 13 years. Okay. And then, um, then I went to seminary. You went to Luther Seminary. Luther Seminary, yeah. And uh, and what caused you to do that? What was the... Sh- I mean, that's quite a shift to go yeah, from quite a designing shift. toys. Well, I had been... Um, you know, when I landed in, in the United States, I was hankering after the civil rights movement. And coming from the angle of the church, I knew that the church had been a significant player in the consciousness raising and leadership of that through King and others. Yep. And uh, so I... Uh, upon graduation, headed for the first black church in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, ironically called Ebenezer Baptist Church, and I kind of dug in and began to get involved, trying to ride the wave of the the civil rights movement for change. I was just fascinated that the church could take on social change, which was something that I was never exposed to personally. Okay. And um, I wanted to see the world change. In that direction. So, so, but Luther, what year did you start there? Oh, this was not until 1995 or Okay, six. so yeah. long after the traditional civil rights movement. Yeah, and I'd, all that time I'd been in the black church since the 70s. And um, I kind of uh, grew a little tired of it. Uh, I found that the, the vision of changing the world, making America a greater country, had been lost. And people were hunkering down to secure their gains, and um, and it became a more polarized, you know, let's take care of ourselves kind of uh, vision, and uh, that uh, began to lose luster for me. So I I started to volunteer in community. Okay. Yeah, and vol- and uh, tutoring and those kinds of things with young, primarily African-American young people because I had made a commitment while in college that I would always live in a low-income community no matter how successful I was. And so that's what I did. And um, most of the time it was in the African-American community and I became part of that community, married someone in that community and and volunteered intensely uh, socially after becoming disillusioned with the whole church direction. And then eventually you ran for uh, the city council in Minneapolis? Yeah, I graduated from seminary, and uh, uh, a pastor suggested to me that they had enough churches in North Minneapolis, 
where, where my wife and I had moved, the most challenged community in the city, maybe the state. Oh, the state. Yeah, and a bullet came through our window after two weeks and lodged over where our baby's crib was. Uh, oh, my position. God. So that was um, a wake-up call. You better start now. So we got dug in and got involved right away. At that time, I was phasing. I was graduating from college around that time and um, decided to start a children's ministry. There were so many kids. It was the highest ratio of kids in the state in our neighborhood. And 50% um, of the population was under 18. And so we decided to start a children's ministry of some kind. Just to This would have been in the late 90s? In the late 90s. Yep. Or early, just around the turn of the decade. Okay. And... Um, or the century, and um, and uh, it was uh, our council member resigned. We'd been very very active trying to clean up the neighborhood. Our council member resigned, and my neighbors kind of prevailed on me to run for office to bring attention to the community because uh, the city hall had not been paying a lot of attention to North Minneapolis. The votes aren't there to get the attention of the mayor, right? And the council. Was uh, the council member was elected from the other side of the river because that's where most of the votes were. So North Minneapolis got neglected pretty much. And so um, my neighbor said, hey, Don, we have 50 kids in our after-school program at church, and uh, we think two of them might graduate. And so I thought, he said, you got to go to City Hall and bring our issues forward. Well, and you did, and you were elected for three terms. Yes, three terms. For the city council, yeah. so that's 12, 12 years, 12 right? 12 years. And then you ran for mayor. Yes, I had to let go of the city council seat, could not run for that while I ran for mayor. And I ran on uh, education and public safety, which are not big mayor um, uh, platforms. Well, they sure as heck should be. <laughs> yeah, well, well, one should be for sure, but it's avoided because it has... Uh, pitfalls and uh, if crime goes up, you might not get elected. And the other one is not really the uh, bailiwick of um, the mayor, but I felt that it was being ignored and some leadership needed to take up education as the future workforce and the ultimate um, public safety solution. And this would have been the election of 20... 2013. 13, mm -hmm. okay. And you did not make it. I did not make it. You did not make it. I did not make it. So, um, actually, R.T. Ryback, who was the mayor, and a few other people came to me and said, hey, you you talked about education a lot. There's an opening. Why don't you run for it and help us out? And I said, well, I just finished raising a couple hundred grand. I, I'm tired of it. Right. So they just basically said, you just show up and talk, and we'll raise the money. Okay. So that's how it worked out, and I ran and won the seat on the school board. Okay, well, Don, when we come back, I want to talk more about that, yeah. okay? We've been uh, talking, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, um, speaking with Don Samuels, who is an idealist just like me, which, of course, I love. If you like this show, please uh, visit my website at elliekrug.com or email me at hiddenedgesradio at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll speak some more with Don Samuels. Thank you.
Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. The Spring St. Paul Art Crawl, presented by the St. Paul Art Collective, will be running April 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is a must-do experience that you will love. Over the weekend, you'll have the chance to explore a wide variety of art while touring through local artist studios, lofts, and galleries, hosting over 350 artists. Up for purchase will be paintings, photography, pottery, sculpture, fiber arts, and more. The Art Crawl sprawls over 34 locations. Join the Art Crawl and discover outstanding art for you to own. When you buy local art, you're providing to artists so that they may continue to create the art we love. The Metro Transit is supporting the local art community with free transit passes. Download your pass to ride buses and light rail for free during the Art Crawl. Be sure to get details at thesaintpaulartcrawl.org. That's thesaintpaulartcrawl.org. While shopping for a fireplace insert at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, I was amazed at all the choices. Not just gas, electric, or wood burning, but also built-in or freestanding, and options in every style from antique to modern. The staff really listened to us, explained the options, and helped us choose a fireplace we absolutely love. Now it warms our hearts and our home every winter. Thank you, Woodland Stoves, for a great addition. Hi, I'm Peter Solak, putting in a word for the EPA BurnWise campaign. It has important information about clean burning fireplaces. This is an important part of our mission at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. We know that the fireplace has to work. Work with your life, work with your living space, and also be environmentally smart. Come see us. Learn to burn wise. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Visit our store in person or online at woodlandstoves.com. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. Hidden Edges Radio. This is Ellie Krug, your host. I've been speaking with Don Samuels, a former city council member, now currently on the Minneapolis School Board. That's correct. Don, um, you have so much uh, history and so much perspective here in the Twin Cities. And first of all, I want you to know, I just admire you. Thank you very much, I admire the work that you're doing. I admire the work that your wife is, your wife, uh, is it Sandra? Sandra. Sandra is with the uh, North... No, it's that achievement zone. Thank you for um, filling me in on that. Yeah. And um, I mean, if you if you talk about um, people mm-hmm. who are dedicated 
to change? I mean, you and your wife, I mean, you're like the poster people for that. Mm -hmm. And, and let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we have here in the Twin Cities that you've been mm -hmm. able to face. I mean, your, your thing about education is my thing because mm -hmm. I believe that education is the ticket out. Mm -hmm. It's the ticket. If you work and you get a good education and you get good grades, not always, but most of the time, it's a yep. ticket out. It's, it's a, a ticket, ticket out of, out. Out of yes. the cycle of poverty. Yes. So what are the challenges that... Why is it so difficult here in the Twin Cities, particularly in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. for us to move the envelope, for us to push the envelope mm -hmm. and move the needle? Well, uh, first of all, I think it's the isolation of communities. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, there are psychological reasons or sociological reasons for it, but the physical isolation of communities is a big problem. When you say, what do you mean by that? I mean, well, the fair, during during before the civil rights era, communities were balkanized, right? Even in the white community, you had um, a Polish uh, Catholic community built around a parish. Right. There was a church in the middle or German Lutheran, or even Jewish uh, synagogue, a community built around that. And then there were the de facto communities, uh, like the African-American community, that was not optionally located. It well, that we're talking about redlining and redlining, all kinds of stuff. Yes. Yep. And, and, and uh, limiting people as to where you could. There were housing covenants. Blacks right. couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. Horrible stuff, yep. yeah. And so they were clustered in certain areas. And uh, even in those areas, though, there was uh, a, a kind of communality, right? Right. And the leadership was there of the community. And they built institutions around the needs of the community. They were not as well-endowed as communities outside the black community or the native community, but they were pretty much intact communities. And, uh, and then fair housing laws were passed, and people began to, um, African-Americans and other minorities began to move into areas that were previously designated for whites only. Right. And then you had, as those populations increased, you have white flight, people moving away. It didn't help that there was a riot in 1967, 68, and that um, it, Plymouth Avenue, which was a Jewish uh, commercial corridor, pretty much got burned to the ground. And the Jewish community, which had already been moving out to St. Louis Park... Really moved. Really moved. Okay. And blacks moved into the void. Some yuppies moved in also. And then blacks moved north of Broadway, which was the border for blacks before and Jews. And so as blacks and Jews began to infiltrate areas that were predominantly white or were white, whites started to move out. First a neighbor... And, and a right. neighbor across the street or on both sides. And then as you got to 15%, which is the magic number, then you have this mass exodus. And so what happens then is those enclaves, which were less than perfect because they were kind of uh, discriminatory of Catholics and, and uh, Lutherans it's, and Baptists, uh, Scandinavian Baptists, etc., those became totally integrated still becoming integrated and but the fabric that held those communities together is gone and uh and they become predominantly minority and people with especially who have children who are white leave 
And so you, you tend to have whites who do not have children living among and ho own their homes, living next to and around minorities who do have children who are renting. Okay, and, right. and this is these this is all stuff that I knew, but you are encapsulating it in such a better fashion than I could. Yeah. So what this does is this keeps us from creating the commonalities yes. and recognizing our commonalities, yes. and then creating the kind of bonds, the fabric that keeps communities together. Right, because even when we look out for each other. Yes, especially, and and we tend to do it around children. Children are the heartbeat of a community, so. Uh, parents usually form organizations or structures around family life because we all want life. our children to succeed. To, to succeed. That's something I talk about with yeah. great. Frequency. So when you have one race that has no children in the community but owns most of the property, and uh, and is has the, most of the income and connection, and then you have the other race that has pretty much all the children and no power, extremely mobile. The typical renter moves every eight, nine months. Can you believe that? Okay. And so that po population is not settled enough to form relationships no and roots. connections and roots. And so what happens then is um, when the city decided to help and strengthen neighborhoods as they became transient like that and um, disconnected, then all the money went through the neighborhood organizations which were populated by the owner versus the renter class. And the owners tended to be white. And so even though money was coming into the neighborhood to heal the neighborhood, it was not addressing the issues related to children and families with children. Okay. And so then that, in a way, exacerbated the rift. And so then the, the poorer, darker families, their children started to form their own organizations. Yeah, well, those organizations are organizations. Uh, those are affinity-based organizations, yes. but violence. Yeah, violence happens. becomes it's boys. It's usually around boy relationships. Right. It's Lord of the Flies. You get more yep. than four boys together to protect themselves against the enemies or the strangers, perceived or real. And next thing you know, they have to have a knife or whatever, and so they can really fight. And they have to beat up the other guys next door to show that they're stronger and. You know, it, everything devolves from there. You throw some drugs in, and it becomes a real gang situation. And so what we have is adults, white adults primarily, meeting to to deal with the real estate issues of the neighborhood, and black young people meeting to protect themselves from each other. Not a good recipe. Not a good recipe. And this... And is that where we are right now, well, as far as you we, can see? Well, uh, um, I think the, the neighborhood boards have become much more diverse. Uh, but there's, there continues to be a, a kind of hopelessness around what to do with children. Okay. Right? Because nobody's really... They're the other. They belong to families that are the other. Because even in the minority communities, the minute parents start to have children, they think about moving. And those who can do... And so we have an inner inf an influx of low-income families with children who are not have be not being taken care of in the way that communities usually take care when of When we children. come back, uh, Don, I want to talk more about this, okay, because these are 
critical issues facing our communities. I've been speaking with Don Samuels, former uh, city council member in Minneapolis, now current school board member. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Hidden Edges Radio. If you like what you hear, come and visit my website at elliekrug.com. Get my newsletter, The Ripple. It comes out every month by email. We'll be back and finish our conversation. Thanks. Mishad Cooley Erickson, a mechanical and electrical consulting engineering firm in Minneapolis, supports inclusivity by designing spaces for all user groups, honoring inclusivity and respect. These spaces include gender-neutral family restrooms and nursing mothers' rooms. For example, Mishad Cooley Erickson has designed lactation rooms for traveling mothers at the MSP International Airport. Designing these spaces has changed the expectations of similar facilities in airports around the country. Mishad Cooley Erickson designed safe and comfortable environments for occupants who are their number one priority. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Jeff Warner here for Warner Stellion to share my latest attempt to help you break up with your tired, inefficient appliances. Replace them at Warner Stellion and get our guaranteed lowest price on beautiful new super efficient ones plus a 50 buck trade-in rebate for every replaced appliance. And we'll also toss in free delivery and basic installation from our trusted specialists and 18 month no interest financing. We can only afford to make this offer for a very short time. So choose Warner Stellion and save on incredible new appliances today. This is Bill McLeslie, owner of IP House in Minneapolis. Does the thought of upgrading the computers at your office keep you up at night? Change can be overwhelming, especially when it comes to technology. I started IP House with the mission of making technology simple. We provide tech support for businesses just like yours, managing the technical hurdles so you can sleep at night. If your technology has you worried, call us. IP House, 612-337-6337. 612-337-6337. With spring, it's car wash season. Thank goodness for the Luther Advantage program from Rudy Luther Toyota. Not only do I save 10 cents off per gallon of gas at holiday station stores, but I also get big discounts on car washes. And with free two years of maintenance with every new Toyota purchased, I can get my oil change and spring service done with the best service and maintenance department at Rudy Luther Toyota. Clear your spring checklist with great service from Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Sunday, snow likely, high near 29. Monday, chance of snow, high near 36. And Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 38. The Electric Fetus wants your used music. The used music buying bonanza is going on now at the Electric Fetus. Sell your vinyl CDs and DVDs from now through April 17th and receive an extra 50% off based on the quote if you choose store credit. Find Electric Fetus just south of downtown Minneapolis at 2000 4th Avenue South. I'll be an army, know your 
This is Ellie Krug with Hidden Edges Radio on AM 950. I've been speaking with Don Samuels, a former city council member in Minneapolis, currently a school board member, and we've been talking about the landscape, about how we got here to the problems that we have in Minneapolis. I mean, we still have... Uh, I mean, our graduation rate is going up a little bit, but it's still not very good. And, and Don, we, you know, we, we both know that we have the highest disparity between white wage earners and black wage yeah. earners of anybody in the country. And, and before we broke, you were talking about how the fabric of communities has shredded, frankly. Mm-hmm. And we've got this issue about uh, power, people in power who have, you know, who have money or white, who own property, and then people who are not white who are um, renting and, and moving around. And it's all about the kids in the yeah, end. Yeah. How are we going to change things? I mean, we know the landscape. Yeah. How do, I mean, how do we change it? Yeah, well, you know, that's, uh, this is why Sandra and I started the Peace Foundation, which evolved into the Northside Achievement Zone. It was, it's a very organically formed organization based on the wisdom and uh, the feedback we got as we moved into the problem because we didn't move in with a plan. We moved in in response to everything that was, each thing that was happening and then evolved to meet the problem. Right. And so we started out an, on a peace mission, basically, to end violence. And it was after we discovered that uh, the young people who were committing homicides, 100% in 2006 of those who committed homicides did not graduate from high school. And 85% of the victims didn't. And so we began to see the connection. Um, They're more complicated than that, but simply put, it it seemed to suggest that education was the long-term solution to violence. Education is the ticket out. Absolutely. It is. Not just for a person but for the society. No question about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we, so, but how do we, but the problem, Don, mm-hmm. is in the families, getting education, first of all, to be valued, right. getting parents to come to student parent conferences, yeah. getting parents to sit with children to read to them. I yeah. mean, we know that with little kids. Yeah. Getting the, um, getting parents to believe that their child could go to college and then reinforce... I mean, I don't know about uh, you, but... Uh, Ellie, you sound <laughs> like you... Uh, you and I have been drinking the same water for a couple of decades. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> you, you, you don't need me. You could just have this show yeah, by yourself. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and so, so a, a black um, uh, seminarian and a transgender woman walk into a bar. How do you like that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you know, ironically, yesterday we had, my wife and I had a radio show. Uh, it, it was a, about our 10th one. Okay. We just started it because uh, in doing Northside Achievement Zone, we have parenting, parenting classes. Yes. Okay. And those parenting classes are categorized from the youngest age to toddler, toddler to three, to, 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 to first grade, first grade to third grade, I believe. And, and that, so as your child grows, you can take a class okay. to know how to shepherd that child through life and through their educational life. Right. And um, and how are the parents reacting? To, I mean, is, And the parents loved it. In fact, 
our guest was a parent okay. uh, yesterday, and she wanted to talk about um, the, 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 the role of gentleness and warmth in uh, mm. creating a healthy child and a healthy student. And she talked about the fact that well, she had both parents in the home, but because of the cultural, uh, the cultural realities of black life, her, like most uh, uh, African-American low-income families, her family, her parenting was fairly harsh. Right. So even though there was love, um, it was not articulated. Loud words. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anger. Was, and... I say, you know, no, I love yous, no. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and so she, she, she said when she went to the first class that she thought, Oh, these people are doing the white thing. I don't need the this. white thing. Yeah. Okay. Thank uh, you this, for saying that. Yeah. This yeah. whole warmth thing. You know, white people do that. Right. Right. Which you can understand. Uh, and uh, if you're going to raise a child to to grow up to be Philando Castile, who was killed by the yep, cops, right? Yep, of course. Yeah. You have to you have to prepare that child to be disparately treated. That there's going to be a harsh yeah. response to their life. You have to condition them. Yes. And so if a cop tells you to pull over and yells at you, you just sit there and you don't that, say, you say yes, sir, you may not get no, a, sir. You may not get a second chance if you want to um, engage in a debate. Right. Yes. While a, a white kid might you know, might be asking questions, say, why did you stop me? Or, you know, Correct. And the cop would might have a conversation. With a black kid, he might feel like you shouldn't be talking to me. And Don, right? I'm just I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, I hate these realities. Yes, I I, yeah. I cannot tell you how much it it just even hurts my heart right now that right. we are speaking about these are the realities. Yes. So so then the parents yep uh, begin to parent over time, beginning with slavery, in a way that will prepare the child to respond appropriately in a situation, a social situation of injustice. The parent almost becomes unjust in order to prepare their child for injustice. So you speak when you're spoken to, shut up, uh, you know, and kind of harsh. And the child learns to respond to that. And, you know, just 50 years ago, um, that's how you stayed in the back of the bus. You didn't go up to the driver and say, hey, I need to sit in the front. You can't tell me where to sit. So in, in order to prepare your child not to do that so they don't get lynched, right? right. You tell them, sit down and shut up. You, I, do it because I said so. But and, the, and now the child can go into the world and respond appropriately. But, but, but it, 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 it takes a hard toll on the humanity I know you talked about hello humans when you you started. Yeah, it, it takes a hard toll on the humanity of the of that human young human being, and that person doesn't get prepared for leadership. Okay, to take prerogative and to lead an organization. Right. And so when I, for instance, started my job at uh, in corporate America, my white peers were much more had much more prerogative than I did. I wasn't raised that way. I had to learn to speak up, to take prerogative, to to assume leadership, to look at the big picture and 
causal uh, and central issues versus waiting to be told and in a meeting to speak up and give my opinions. These were, th I wasn't raised that way. So how do we deal with it? Because the blueprints that we are creating yes. by this harshness, okay? Yeah. And, and by the way, you can, everything that you just said, you can say because you're a black man. Yes. I cannot say right. that, mm -hmm. okay? And so now I'm, I'm Well, starting... you can say the part about the social realities. Well, I can <laughs> do that, but, <laughs> but, but it's how harder we, to... But yeah. how do we... Because what this, this um, very harsh yeah. um, kind of parenting does is it creates a blueprint yes. that the child believes that's the way to go forward in the world. And I right. understand that because it's out of self-preservation. Right. But, it, but it, it's, it keeps replicating, self-duplicating, yeah. and... It, it's keep it's holding people back. Yeah. So now my challenge with school systems is this: we send our children to a building with teachers in it to teach them things that we don't have the time to teach them, or we don't we don't uh, know. No, I think it's them. more. I think it's more in the know. We don't know enough to teach yeah. them, or things that they need to survive in the world that we can't provide. Right. Right. And 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 so we we know what those things are, because over time we realize this is what is needed. We know right? what makes somebody succeed. Exactly. Absolutely. And so we might be teaching just math and reading for a while, and then somebody said, hey, we need to teach health because our children need to be healthy. Yeah. Or, you know, we need to have a period where the kids go work out and exercise and learn a sport so they can have recreation all their lives long. The thing about it is, when it comes to a black child, who is still impacted by trends started in slavery, it becomes, there's a denial about that. That that is a need that that child or that family has that needs to be addressed and should be addressed by the school. And so, because, as you said, as a white person, I can't say that, right? You, you just said it. Yeah. So if, you, if a teacher is saying, as a white person or a superintendent, as a white person, I can't go there, then they can't sit around to plan how to, to, how to augment education to address those needs in the child and how to connect with the family on those issues. And it is that kind of disconnect. I have no right. I, I, don't, I don't even want to see it. I can't deal with it. It's not my purview. So I can't. So then we continue to enrich the educational system to support children who are white or who have don't have those issues and uh, when those issues come up we deal with them punitively right right rather than with compassion rather than with compassion and with strategies to address those issues in the child's life so so, so in Minneapolis, are we yeah. are we trying to are we doing it any differently? Well, you know, we we have something we call social emotional learning. Yes, which is getting at it, right? And it's it's developing the full human being based on their own particular realities and needs. This is approaching. It's not quite there, but it is approaching the situation. Well, Don, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of waiting. Yeah, I, I mean, know. You got to be tired of waiting. Oh, I'm tired of waiting. I mean, absolutely. Why? Why can't we? And incremental progress. It's going to take us. I asked the district the other day to chart for us. If we make progress at this rate, when will we achieve equality? Yeah, yeah. It's not yet done, but I think 
I think I put it about 70-something years out. Well, and, and so <laughs> we can't wait. No, no, we cannot we wait. We can't wait. And, you know, and, and this uh, um, gap between haves and have-nots yeah. is just yeah. exacerbating yes. everything. Yes. Well, Don, um, we're just about out of time. I am... I am so sorry because... Yeah, have me back. I will. <laughs> okay. And what I want to do is I want to have you back on a live show so we have people call in. Okay. Okay? Yeah. But um, my friend, my new friend, I just want uh, you to know um, I'm here for you. Yeah, well... In whatever way that I can be. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you do with mentoring. You know, I think sometimes maybe I should be a pastor, and, and, and I, I swear, my church would have to be the church of mentoring. <laughs> and, Okay. Well, Don, so. um, thank you so very much for being on my show. Thank and, you. Uh, we've been speaking with Don Samuels, uh, city council, former city council member, now on the uh, school board for Minneapolis. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and we will have you back, Don. Thank you. When we come Great back, to be here. You, thank you. And when we come back from our break, I will do my Human is Human segment, which absolutely uh, segues into what we've just been speaking about. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Trappers use baited snares to choke animals to death. They're cheap and easy. Snares are banned in 20 states. Snares can't discriminate between wild animals and our pets. Your dog could die silently in a snare just yards away. Most Minnesotans oppose trapping, and our leaders cringe at the slightest mention of it, and yet it continues. Let's ban snaring and leave a legacy Minnesota can be proud of. Please contact the governor and your lawmakers. Do it now, today. Together we can ban the snare. Learn more at StandAgainstSnaring.com. Mishad Cooley Erickson, a mechanical and electrical consulting engineering firm in Minneapolis, supports inclusivity by designing spaces for all user groups, honoring inclusivity and respect. These spaces include gender-neutral family restrooms and nursing mothers' rooms. For example, Mishad Cooley Erickson has designed lactation rooms for traveling mothers at the MSP International Airport. Designing these spaces has changed the expectations of similar facilities in airports around the country. Mishad Cooley Erickson designed safe and comfortable environments for occupants who are their number one priority. 
This spring, the early bird gets more than the worm. They'll also get triple savings from standard heating and air conditioning. That's right, you can triple your savings in April when you purchase a new furnace and air conditioner. Go for the HVAC hat trick by saving up to $900 three times. Take advantage of utility rebates, manufacturer rebates, and April savings. April is the only month Standard Heating is offering the HVAC hat trick triple savings, so don't wait. Details at standardheatingdeals.com. Some restrictions apply. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, the comfort you deserve. Hidden Edges Radio. This is Ellie Krug, your host. Um, I've got to tell you, that was a phenomenal interview with Don Samuels. I am, I am still in awe. I knew the name before. I'd never talked with the man before we prepared for this show. Um, I will have him back, but he taught me so much, and he helped connect a lot of dots for me. Maybe he did those for you as well. I just... I love idealists, and I love idealists who actually walk the walk. And so, um, thank you, Don. Thank you, Don Samuels, for what you're doing in the community, for what you have done, and what, for what you will do. So this segment now is my Human is Human segment, and it's very interesting because it pivots exactly with what Don uh, just talked about. So let me relate. Um, many of you know that I speak across uh, North America about human inclusivity, about how all of us can get back, get, get together or get along with each other in a better way than what we have been doing and about unifying our country rather than dividing it. So recently I had an experience in Kansas City which folds into exactly what Don just talked about. I spoke at a law firm in Kansas City over the lunch hour. I spoke about, um, because I'm transgender, um, people, I'm starting to get a lot of talks about asking about what it's like to not just be transgender, but what is it, what's it like to live for um, several years in, in a different gender than the one that you were born into. And so I, I transitioned genders in 2009, so we're... We're approaching, uh, at this point, eight years that I've been living and presenting as female. So I spoke at a law firm over the lunch hour about um, how women are marginalized, because this is certainly what I have found out on this side of the gender fence, and about the need to speak up for women of color um, and women from marginalized communities. Um, and for those of you who have a real interest in what that talk was about, if you... Um, uh, go to the website uh, and uh, the podcast for LE 2.0 on the March 26th show. You will hear that whole story. But the event in Kansas City was opened up to people from other groups, um, not only at that law firm. And during my talk, I gave somewhat of a strident um, presentation about pushing envelopes, about the need to be more affirming for uh, women of color, about the need um, for protecting uh, women from marginalized communities. Um, and by the way, this talk was going on at a fairly straight-laced law firm in Kansas City. I mean, one of the largest law firms in Kansas City, one of the largest law firms in the country. Throughout my whole talk in Kansas City, there was a black man in front of me in, in the audience. He was sitting at, uh, 
um, about a row back from the front. And this man was what I would call a teddy bear of a man, you know, a larger gentleman, kind of the teddy bear, the kind that you want to hug. Someone in his early 40s, he was a bald man, he had a goatee. And throughout my whole talk, he kept smiling and nodding. And I've got to just tell you, when you're a speaker, um, having people in the audience who react to your words, who are smiling and nodding in, in, in response to your words, it is very, very helpful. I've been in audiences where people don't react whatsoever, and I've got to tell you, it is very difficult when that happens. So, um, you know, as I'm speaking, he's, he's giving me a lot of positive nods, a, po a lot of things. And afterward, the man came up to me, um, and we, we did some joking about the fact about how he was so helpful to me with his smiling and nodding. And um, it was very clear that he had a sense of humor. As it turned out, he was a gay man, which uh, that's a long story, but I love gay men. Um, uh, and I told him how much, uh, you know, his reaction had meant to me. And we talked about how I was pushing the envelope in that talk. And as we did that, as we talked about me pushing the envelope, because frankly, I was worried that I had maybe um, pushed a little bit too hard. I'm the guest at some organization, and I'm speaking as their speaker. They touted me to the public, and I'm, I wasn't demeaning the organization, but I was pushing the envelope about how women need to take a great, how we need to take a greater role to protect women, particularly youth, uh, young girls, young women who are losing. We are losing them. At any rate, I talked with the man and we talked about how I was pushing the envelope. You know what? And he said to me, he said to me, because I am white, I could get away with pushing the envelope, particularly as it related to race. Whereas because of his skin color, him being a black man, he could not. And he reminded me of that. And he, he said that to me and I knew that, but it was, it was something for me to know it, but it's a whole other thing for a black man to tell you that, Ellie, I could never say the things that you just said in a crowd of people. But you can, Ellie, because you're white. In some plane, that that just so hurts my heart that we have a society where ideas, <clears throat> the acceptance of ideas, the putting forth of ideas are color-based. That... That's just plain wrong. I'm just telling you that. That's just plain wrong. It doesn't mean that it's not real, that that's the reality we face, but it's just plain wrong. And, and in this country, we wonder why certain organizations don't have places at the table. We wonder why certain groups in our country are, are marginalized again and again and again. Well, it's because... In some instances, they cannot speak up for themselves. They need to have someone speak up for them. And certainly for me, Ellie Krug, the practical idealist, all this did was reinforce to me the need for me to speak up even more. Um, and it reminded me of Robert F. Kennedy's admoni ad ad admonition, thank you, El, of our obligation to speak up for others, to be there for other people when they don't have their voices when their voices cannot be heard. And I'm just here to tell you, you know, I am 61 years old. There is nothing else that I'm going to do in this world other than what you're hearing right now. 
That is me speaking up for others. That is me speaking up for all humans. As Don Samuels was here talking about the need for us to think differently about the way that the world is is operating. We need to have a different approach because the approach that we have right now to all the inequity, that approach is not working. And we're actually seeing it real time how the approach is changing. Just go follow the Parkland students and what they're doing in the world. I don't know about you. This, this radio station, this, this show that I do, it is such a struggle for me because it is a burden on my time that is already limited. But I have to tell you, I am here. I will do this work. I will not stop. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world with AM950, Hidden Edges Radio. If you like the show, email me at hiddenedgesradio at gmail.com. A big thanks to our sponsors, the engineering firm of Michelle Cooley Erickson, the law firm of Zaylor Stout & Associates, our sponsors, the Pride Institute, as well as Brending Electrolysis. Tell, tell Bev I sent you because she does great work. And a big shout-out to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the best, and you need to know that. And to you, my listeners, thank you for following me. Please email me at elliekrug.com. Visit my website. Sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple. I'll be back next, next week. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe, now open seven days a week. Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house-made rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays 6 to 3, weekends 8 to 2. Milda's Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn. 